Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Do not skip this intro talkie, junkie. Do not skip it. It's important. It's important. How the hell are you? I hope you're having a great week. Want to let you know, we now have dynamic ad inserts. Should have told you this sooner, but it didn't really cross my mind to do that. And it sort of got away from me. And now the next thing I know, all the ads are rolling out and we've got ad inserts. Every episode is going to have an opening ad, a closing ad, and a mid-roll ad. More explanation on the mid-roll in a second. It is important information for your ears. There will also often be a promo for another free audiobook or a free full cast audio drama. We used to do this stuff back in the day all the time. Original junkies may remember. I would ask if you have a promo, send it my way, and we would play it in the show. And then most of those shows would also play our promo for shows like Earthcore Ancestor, Infected, The the Rookie, etc. I promo their show. They promo mine. These usually 60 seconds or less. And it often tipped you guys off to like, hey, here's this free thing you can go listen to. So you're going to get promos again going forward. And I suspect you will find some super cool new shit to listen to. So that is a good thing. Now, about the mid-roll ads. These are ads that are going to appear in the middle of the episode. They're usually 30 to 60 seconds. These things help keep the podcast free. Hopefully they bring a little bit of money to this podcast. It'll be great. And it's not, it's not that big of an amount, amount of time to take you out of the story, hopefully. But it might take you out of the story where it is placed. Ali Press, who does all of our ad inserts, is looking for the most logical place to drop these mid-roll inserts on Slay episode 14 and previous and all of the other back catalog stuff we will soon be rolling out unabridged in all of their full glory. But starting with episode 15 of Slay, I am now modifying the Slay experiment to write specifically so that a mid-roll doesn't create a jarring interruption in the story. I'll be tailoring the story with a commercial break in mind just like every single TV show you've ever watched. I'm going to try and have a logical kind of close to the first segment. We'll run the shwarmy sound, play the ad, run the shwarmy sound on the other end, and then a logical intro into the next segment. I think this is going to make the ad inserts much less obtrusive. They won't really take you out of the story, because if I'm doing my job correctly, Right at the end of that first about 10-minute segment, you're going to kind of want to catch your breath because there's interesting things going on with the character, interesting things going on with the plot, or we are closing out some kind of action, or we're shifting point-of-view characters. So you would have heard that sound anyway. So this is a new way of doing things. I'm giving you a new way to listen to the stories, and I realize this may be annoying at first. This may be annoying in perpetuity, but by modifying the writing style, in this grand experiment that is Slay, I think it should quickly become almost invisible to you. So what I'm saying is, keep on listening. All my stuff is always free in these podcasts. This is going to help keep it free, keep more stuff coming your way. Let's get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go watch Don Draper do an ad pitch. Previously on Slay, Pragman a bounty hunter wielding a pair of old-school western six-shooters and using a lizard-like hound to track his targets, cornered Billy in the Nerp Perps alley. Pragman was about to shoot Billy down, but the man in gray used his crossbow to shoot one of the guns out of Pragman's hand. 
The man in gray claimed the Billy bounty for himself and told Pragman to either walk away or draw down. Meanwhile, unaware of the face-off between Pragman and Lincoln, Rolling Outlaws gang members Butch and Money Monday talked to Boss Hogg about joining forces to track Billy down. But wait, there are more bounty hunters in this neighborhood. The sword-wielding Flechette sisters and the sorcerer Oleus Oakbeard are also hunting for Billy. Now Billy and the Nerp Perp can do nothing but watch as Billy's fate is decided for him. Lincoln's mind calmed. Calmed and categorized all before him. It was his gift. When the shit hit the fan, the world's ever-burbling ocean of stress and confusion stilled, became as flat as the surface of a pristine lake on a windless day. Lincoln saw many things at once. The lizard hound, the scent of its breath like hamburger about to go bad. The lizard's eyes, locked on Lincoln's throat. The lizard's front feet splayed out slightly from the weight on them, showing the beast was ready to spring. Pragman's eyes, the eyes of a killer, but a nervous killer, the crinkles at the edges entrenched by the severity of the moment. Pragman's right hand, drifting near the worn wooden grip of his holstered Colt walker. And Pragman's chest into which Lincoln would pour rounds if the fool was dumb enough to slap leather or release the hound. The kid, Lil B, trembled like a damaged moth. Poor guy. One way or another, that kid was not leaving this alley alive. The hippie with the glasses, sitting calmly at the den and alley's back wall, smelling a patchouli oil and weed. Everything hinged on Pragman. Would he make the smart move, or would he force Lincoln's hand? Lincoln pulled his cloak aside, clearing it away from the holster on his right hip. His left hand held Bastard Maker, his ancient hatchet, while the fingers of his right hand wiggled near the grip of his Caltech sidearm. This bounty is mine, Lincoln said. Walk away, Pragman, and take your mutt with you. the cloak-wearing psycho from the warehouse, Joe's murderer. He looked real, solid, normal, you would say, but only if you didn't count the gray cloak and the bizarre black cloud mask that hit his eyes, wavering and curling as if driven by an invisible breeze. The man in gray faced off against a crazy fucker armed with an Old West six-shooter holstered at his side. Billy could only sort of see the six-shooter and the holster. They wavered like a transparent overlay, barely visible to begin with and slowly fading. Pragman was the man's name. He had been moments from killing Billy before the man in gray shot a second pistol out of his hand with some kind of little arrow. Pragman wasn't alone. He had a huge dog on a leash, at least 200 pounds of animal, only it wasn't a dog. Billy knew. Just like with the six-shooter, a dreamlike image covered the dog, seemed to occupy the same space. Billy didn't know what it was, had never seen the like. A freakish cross between a crocodile and a small bear, maybe. 
Pragman and the man in gray both wanted to kill Billy, kill him, and collect a bounty of 50 grand. Billy wasn't sure he'd ever possessed that much in his entire life, and that was cumulatively. It seemed he was worth more to this world dead than alive. And somehow, that didn't surprise him. Cumulatively. Five syllables. Big Hack probably couldn't have even pronounced that word. Big Hack, who got devoured by shadow monsters. Pour one out on the curb for you, Kamare. There was nowhere to run. It was a dead-end alley. Three-story walls rising up on all three sides. The two freaks blocking the only way out. Hey, perp, Billy said. You got some magic shit might get me out of here? Like a secret door or something? No, man, the perp said. I ain't got that kind of thread work, man. Billy found himself wishing he knew what the fuck thread work was, but he knew he wouldn't live long enough to find out. Either Pragman or the man in gray was going to punch his ticket. Pragman licked his lips, just the tip of his tongue peeking out, sliding from left to right. The kid is mine, he said. Lincoln watched for tells. He hadn't met this bounty hunter before, but he already had a hunch what those tells might be. Long experience taught him such things, honed a natural instinct for how creatures moved, how they thought, how they acted. First, Pragman would probably turn slightly, slowly, subtly, bringing his left foot back, his right foot forward, in hopes that his body might block the view of his draw by a split second, give him that tiny bit of edge. Then, right before that draw, probably a flaring of the nostrils, brought on by a fast, deep breath. Fifty grand ain't much, Lincoln said. You willing to risk meeting your maker for that? Pragman forced a smile, trying to look tough, trying to look confident, but such things had no impact on Lincoln Franks. There's more going on than you seem to know, Pragman said. Slowly, carefully, he stepped back with his left foot, turned his shoulders slightly. But yeah, I'm willing to risk it. A man's got to make a living these days. Lincoln wallowed in the pure rush brought on by this dance of death. He would give the man one last chance. Dying ain't much of a way to make a living, boy. Pragman swallowed. For an instant, Lincoln thought he might do the smart thing and just walk away. Then, Pragman's nostrils flared. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Billy didn't see motion as much as he saw a hint of it. Pragman, drawing his six-shooter so fast, it was nothing more than a twitch of his shoulders, but the man in gray must have moved first. Must have. Billy heard a buzzsaw of a sound ripping out from somewhere inside his cloak. A spray of sparks splashed against Pragman's chest as he pulled the trigger, his pistol's report so loud it felt like a physical thing. His bullet struck the dirty blacktop, at the man in gray's feet. Pragman fell backward, the leash falling free from his limp hand. Butch heard it, faint but unmistakable, the sound of not-so-distant gunfire. Boss Hogg ran for his big white truck. The white-suited man moved fast for someone his size, covering the distance in bounding steps and jumping into the driver's seat. Money Monday drew his piece, kept it down low as he stepped in front of Butch. For his own part, Butch stayed cool, watching the show. The two guys in black trench coats that had driven in with Hogg sprinted for the white pickup even as Hogg gunned the big engine. Tires smoked. The pickup squealed away from the 7-Eleven. As the truck rumbled out onto the street, the two men dove into the bed. The truck was driving toward where the sound had come from. The same direction Billy had gone, Billy and Big Hack, who had followed him. You drive, Butch said to Money Monday. Let's see what happens. Billy saw the crocobear thing launch itself at the man in gray. Tooth-filled maw open wide and reaching. The man's arm extended. He had a pistol in his hand. It let loose a burst of fire right down the crocobear's throat. The jaws snapped down. The man in gray spun as the teeth clacked, his gray cloak sliding over the beast's head. The crocobear's momentum carried it forward, an enraged bull beguiled by a bullfighter's dance. The beast smashed head first into the alley wall, hitting so hard that bricks cracked and chunks of masonry scattered like shrapnel. The crocobear stumbled to its left, thumped down on its side. The man in gray pounced, brought his hatchet down on the crocobear's neck once, twice, three times, red blood spraying with each impact, splattering across the cracked alley wall with each uplift. Billy heard the man grunt with each strike like he was more of an animal than the beast he attacked. A fourth strike, and the crocobear's head flopped free. Its ravaged tree trunk of a neck spurted a few final gouts of red that splashed across trash and dirt and blacktop and jagged chunks of broken red brick. The man in gray stood straight. The hatchet in his hand dripped strands of gore. He turned his shadow-covered eyes, 
toward Billy. Sucks to be you, kid, he said. I'll make it quick. Lincoln put a fresh magazine in his Keltec, then stepped forward, the soles of his boots squishing on fresh hound blood. The kid stared, eyes wide. So scrawny. So small. Some of the morning light shone into the dark alley, illuminating the kid's swollen right eye, a thick lump on his right cheek, a badly split lower lip. Someone had teed off on him. You killed Joe, the kid said, his voice dulled by terror. Isn't he enough? Don't kill me, man. Joe? Who was Joe? Please, the kid said. I I don't want to die. Lincoln told himself not to sniff, not to smell the kid's aura, but he'd already drawn a breath deep through his nose before even finishing the thought. This kid, Lil B, smelled of guilt. He smelled of fear. He smelled of piss, too, just like he had back in the warehouse. The warehouse. That young thug who'd been there side by side with Lil B, the young thug with a shotgun who had tried to blow Lincoln's head off. Lincoln had taken that gun away, had turned the tables, had eliminated the threat, had... Joe. That must have been Joe. Lincoln sniffed again. The kid, Lil B, he smelled of petty crimes. He smelled of lies. A con man in the making, maybe. He smelled of lies, but he didn't smell of violence. Or theft. Or evil. Or murder. He was just a kid. A kid not that much older than Lincoln's own son, Sam. Little B's eyes flicked left, widened further. Oh, shit! Lincoln immediately whirled and stepped left, flaring his cloak wide as he did. Pragman's big revolver roared. Lincoln felt the impact in his lower back, a punch from a heavyweight, striking home with bone-breaking force. The life of a Rixator is a life of pain. First, learning to endure it. Then, learning how to make friends with it. Learning how to continue on whenever it paid a visit. To succumb to pain, to let it stop you, that was to die. Or worse. Bullets. Teeth. Knives. Swords. Claws. Spears. Tail spurs. Axes. Lincoln had felt all of those things and more in his day. He'd survived them all because he had learned well, learned when he could ignore pain and when he must heed its call. He finished his turn, knowing from the gunshot's report where the shooter was, only a few steps away. Pragman was on one elbow, his chest a mix of blood and the glowing, wiggling threads that had absorbed much of the Keltec's fiber-coated rounds. Fragman saw the hatchet coming, saw death coming. To his credit, he got off one more round, another deafening shot in the alley's close confines. Pragman missed. Bastard Maker slammed down, the blade crunching through Pragman's skull. Oh, wow, the nerd perb said. That's some pretty rad shit, man. Billy couldn't look away. 
The man in gray yanked his small axe out of Pragman's head. A spray of blood came with it. The fake cowboy slumped to the blacktop like so much spoiled meat. The man in gray turned. That spooky mini-cloud still hit his eyes. His eyes, but not his mouth, his chin, his chest, or his shoulders, all of which were splattered with blood. From the crocobear, or from Pragman? Maybe both. The man in gray walked toward Billy. He stumbled once, but quickly righted himself. He held the gore-streaked hatchet in one hand, that automatic pistol in the other. Billy felt cold. The seconds, his last seconds, stretched out. He saw that the man wore armor, gray, like everything else about him. The armor had the form fit of modern stuff Billy saw in the movies, yet it looked medieval, covered with little symbols Billy didn't recognize. Runes. He didn't recognize them because they were runes. Billy would have liked to see Grandma one more time. Tell her that his death wasn't on her, that she had done everything she could to raise him upright. People make choices. Choices have consequences. Billy had made one very, very bad choice. And now it was time to pay the piper. The man in gray raised the hatchet. Billy did not look away. How many times do you get to see such a thing? Once. Only once, apparently. He wasn't going to close his eyes and go out like a bitch. But the hatchet didn't come down. The strange black smoke swirled, hiding the eyes of the blood-spattered killer. For once, Billy had no words. He stared up, waiting for the end. Hey, man, the nerp perp said. Not to interrupt or anything, but there's a couple of groovy-looking ladies coming this way, man. Both Billy and the man in gray looked to the end of the alley. In some other reality, or more likely in some really weird internet porn, a pair of stacked blonde honeys running his way might be a good thing. A music video with a half-baked plot and full-fledged booties. The fact that both women held their but also not their swords, though, that likely meant they were coming to kill him. The man in gray turned back to Billy. The smoke mask cleared. Gray eyes. Of course they were gray. Lines at the corners, bags underneath, rimmed with red. The man looked older than Billy had expected. Those eyes had seen too much bad and not enough good. Hey, kid, you want to live? Billy nodded. You do what I tell you, when I tell you, and maybe you will, the man in gray said. He slid the hatchet somewhere inside his cloak. When the hand came out again, it was empty. Fingers locked on Billy's shirt, and in an instant, Billy was yanked upward. Lincoln scrambled up the alley wall, dragging with him a drug-dealing kid worth 50 large. Only it wasn't just 50 large. It couldn't be. Bounty hunters didn't come out of the woodwork for a prize that small. Boss Hog, the Flechette Sisters, Oleus fucking Oakbeard, and Pragman, whoever he was. 
or rather, whoever he had just been. Lincoln didn't know how bad his wound was. Pragman's bullet had broken a rib, at least. Probably worse. Lincoln needed to get himself and the kid the hell out of there before any more bounty hunters showed up. A spike of metal hit next to Lincoln's head, chonking into the brick and sticking firm. He tossed the kid up and over the roof's edge, just as another spike chonked into the wall. Then Lincoln launched himself over the edge, counting off the seconds before the Flechette sisters would scramble up the wall after him. The kid was on the roof, on his hands and knees, trying to get to his feet. Lincoln's bike was only a block away, but those crazy bitches were close behind. They'd follow him down to the street, and they would try to finish him. He needed to pick up a few more precious seconds. What he needed was air support. Lincoln ran for the far edge of the roof, yanking the kid to his feet by his shirt collar and projecting his need up and out into the morning sky. Stale bread. Crackers were one thing, but stale bread? Shitbird was going to get it if he made this work. Shitbird had to make this count. She had to get that stale bread. Wings folded tight against her body, she dove with speed and grace that stupid pigeons could only dream of, if they could dream at all, which they probably couldn't, because they were stupid pigeons. The rooftop seemed to rush toward her at window splatter speed. Scrambling up the alley wall, she saw them. Two women with swords strapped to their backs. Shitbird extended her wings, leveling out sharply and rocketing toward the first woman's head. An instant before Shitbird passed her by, the crow squeezed. The woman looked up just as a stream of bird droppings splashed into her eyes. Shitbird rose and banked right, coming around in a circle so tight it hurt her wings. She saw the sword woman wipe at her eyes, then panic reached for the roof's edge as she fell away. Her fingers hit that edge, which slipped off, and she tumbled down. The second woman, pushed off the wall, caught the first in midair. Even as they both dropped to the alley, the second woman flicked her wrist. Something sharp and pointy whipped through Shitbird's tail, grazing the feather tips before shooting higher into the sky. That spike had almost landed. Well, fuck this. Fuck this right in its fucking beak. Shitbird banked left above the rooftop and flew out of the women's line of sight. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.